Welcome to the Redemption Tempe podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. I am your host, AC. I'm joined together with Jim Mullins and Josh Butler. Hello. These are two of the elders that we have who pastor here at Redemption Tempe, and they are two of the most creative when it comes to expressing theological truths. You guys are in for a big treat this episode. As you guys know, last week we launched a new sermon series called Love Walked Among Us, where we look at how Jesus lived in the Gospels, how he loved, how he walked among us, and trying to learn what does it look like then as a community to learn directly from Jesus and embody the way that he lived to our neighbors. And so this week, the title of the podcast is Love Looks and Acts. And so we're going to be looking at how Jesus intentionally looked and acted towards people. But before that, I just want to ask, start with you, Josh. Can you talk about a time that someone saw you? Maybe you felt overlooked or not noticed, but they really intentionally acted towards you in love. Yeah, you know, I actually, I think of Kyle Swanson was the name. So I was in high school, mm-hmm. and we had moved across the country. We had moved for a year, and then we moved back. So I'm new high school, don't know anyone there. Most of the folks have kind of grown up together, went to junior high together, you know. So I'm kind of odd man out, whatever. And Kyle was like a star of the football team, and I was, I was also kind of this... I don't know, a little eccentric, you might say, a little awkward, maybe a little socially awkward, a little nerdy, a little whatever, you know. And Kyle, a star player on the football team and all, and yet mostly the football crowd kind of hung out with themselves, right? It was just mm-hmm. like they kind of all hung out together. And Kyle was like boundary crosser or whatever, where I remember not just me, but I was one where he saw me and I think saw that I was kind of on my own a bit, kind of knew, and he reached out and befriended me and we became good friends. He kind of invited me over to his house for this party and into this circle of friends he had. And it wasn't just me, though he did this with particularly what you might consider in high school like the misfits and the rejects right you know and so we kind of became the hippie and the punk rock kid and the bookworm and the you know like every kind of type of person you can imagine in high school that can kind of be on the, the sidelines a bit, right? And we all kind of formed together as this weird, eclectic, diverse community and all sort of around like the star football player who was just, that's just who he hung out with, you know? And so we ended up becoming kind of this crew and it was a big crew of folks together. But I remember just the sense of stepping in and feeling on the outside and the the power of being kind of seen and invited into relationship both by him and then kind of with the the friends and broader community that came out of that. Yeah, yeah. And I would say for me, the Klontzes who go to the church here have seen not just me, but my family with my wife and my daughter and my daughter with her being on the autism spectrum. It can be a super lonely thing. Most people assume that you don't want to be a part of the things that they're doing. They don't know if your daughter can make it. So a lot of times all of the stuff that's happening, you end up getting somewhat excluded from it or people will invite you into it, but they'll expect your daughter with special needs to work at the pace that's normal for everybody else. But what they've done as friends is they've received us as a family, in particular receiving her and the rhythms of what we do and how we are together. The main person that's being considered actually is her rather than what's normal for everybody, what's normal for her, and we'll kind of move at the pace of Eliana. So if sounds really affect her, we're going to make it a low sensory environment. If there's a time of day that's better for her, um, then that's the time of day we're going to get together. So it's been quite the gift. That's fascinating to me that, you know, in a culture that really prizes individualism, the two stories you guys shared are about someone who receives you into a community mm-hmm. and just how powerful and human it is to be part of a community. And so when we talk about even other ways that living according to the gospel contrasts with our culture, when it comes to love, 
Jim, how do you think that our culture defines love, and how does the way that Jesus loved in the Gospels differ from that? It's interesting because linguistically, love is maybe the most popular word in our culture. It's one of them. When you look at song lyrics, it's in so many of the song lyrics, even in the taglines of companies like McDonald's, I'm loving it. NBA, I love this game. Even Subaru, love. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. You're like, <laughs> how? You're like, yeah, really? Is that really shaker. what makes it a Subaru? <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know... A love of money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like an engine and an affinity for hiking that makes a Subaru a Subaru. At the end of the day, love has come to mean anything that you feel some strong emotion toward that is above just liking it. So you can love nachos. Earlier when we were talking here, Josh said that he loved chocolate. And it's yeah. a part of our vernacular. No, that but that's really love. That's, yeah, that's like, really that's love. Yeah, yeah, deep-rooted. Yeah. Covenantal. Yeah. Covenantal affection. That's right, right. So I think it has to do with whatever you feel strong emotion and affinity toward. And then the other thing is I think love is often defined as something that happens in an interpersonal way between two individuals. So as you're doing interpersonal acts of kindness when you're loving somebody. But I think biblically, love does have an emotion and element to it, but it's more defined by self-giving, of giving yourself, sacrificing yourself, pouring out what could be retained for yourself out for another because of your commitment to them. And then another thing would be is it's not just interpersonal, but I think love can be systemic. Mm. So in other words, the things that we sacrificially do for others, not just in like bringing them a meal when they're sick, but in creating medicine that helps them get better when they're sick, that also is an act of love. So those are some things that come to mind. I know you've really thought about this, Josh, especially when it comes to covenant and how covenant plays into it. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what you would say. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think we tend to think of love more as a noun in our culture yeah, than a right. verb. Even when we use it as a verb, we kind of think of it as like a noun, like some, some stuff that we have inside of us sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So even when we say, I love you, that's kind of a verbal form, right? Like, I love you, but we're thinking of it as like, I love you means I have this fluffy emotional feeling inside. Then that, that, mm. that, that feeling, that thing is kind of what, what the love is, you know? And I'm not saying that there's not an importance to desire and affection and, and the, the, the thing, that, the stuff that that is. I think it's a both end, not an either or. But I do think it's interesting in the biblical narrative, it seems much more heavied up on the verbal side of love. Love is an action, like actual specific action undertaken on behalf of another. The Hebrew word is hesed. Like mm-hmm. hesed is this word that gets translated over and over again as love. And it's a couple of things. Like one is it's one of God's defense defining characteristics like God's has said is when he reveals his name to Moses on the mountain for example one of his first descriptions of himself is abounding in has said like flowing over with has said mm. and the concept of love as has said is this concept of God's faithful action towards and for his people like mm. within his committed promised covenantal relationship that God binds himself with the people and then acts with self-giving towards them for their well-being and betterment. And so I wonder sometimes whether we would do better to think of and emphasize and kind of reframe our understanding of love more on the verbal action undertaken. And likewise, I think we also kind of often have sort of the random acts of kindness, you know, or what was mm-hmm. the movie a while back, like Pass It On or something. It was a long time ago, but it was like where you go. Oh, pay it forward. Pay it forward. That's yeah. right. You know, where it's kind of like, you know, this shocking, unexpected, like, oh, someone didn't even know did something nice for me, you know? And that's cool. Like, back- Yeah, it's like paying for somebody at the Starbucks. 
Starbucks. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah like paying for someone at the Starbucks. And, and so it has kind of this quality of like it's random, it's unexpected, it's whatever. But I think part of the significance of covenant in scripture is actually going like, dude, I am binding myself to a person or a people. And marriage seems like the one that we, we most specifically think of that in, but I think it'd be broad, broader. Like historically, even friendships were often covenantal relationships where it was yeah. like, called out and named like i'm going to be with you through thick and thin i'm going to lay my life down for you i'm not necessarily in this just for what i can get out of it but for what i can give to you you know what do you think it looks like to have covenantal type love in friendship today rather than just we seem to like the same things so we're going to spend time together yeah i think it's interesting how the words some of the most powerful words, love and friend, for example, feels like they've been kind of hijacked as like marketing campaign ploys, you know, sure. like, so you think of like Facebook, Instagram and all, like there's a reason they use the language of friends for people that a lot of my quote unquote friends on Facebook, I have never even met you, you know, I don't or I hardly know, or it's been online interaction or whatever. And I think like love friend is another word that can kind of be dumbed down just by sort of the overuse of it. And I'm the worst. I still like, I call, oh, that's my best friend. And like, well, my wife, when I was like, do you have like 40 best friends? You know? <laughs> Like, okay, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, but, <laughs> but I do wonder if there's a place for like reclaiming what some have called like spiritual friendship, even uh -huh. going like, not meaning like, hey, we're just friends about spiritual things, but it's almost like a deeper level of commitment of actually calling it out. Most of the time it's like, oh yeah, we're friends. It's just kind of intuitive because we hang out sometimes or versus actually having the conversation. Some would even call like having vows or ceremonies or it's like, you know, I'm going to be in it with you and mm. there's sort of a public recognition of the blood brother or you know mm -hmm. blood sister kind of you know extent and depth of the committed friendship mm. uh, i think of you jim if it's all right for me saying that, i mean i think there's a crew that you have met with every saturday for a long time and there's just kind of this repeated even as families and all like going into families and friends like that repeated consistent presence with and for one another yeah seems like almost like a covenantal friendship whether or not it's had that for sure language specifically for sure ac would be a part of that yeah. yeah yeah as i'm listening to you talk about friendship and how our culture looks at friendship and how maybe what's a better way of looking at friendship i think of how jesus called his disciples his friends mm -hmm. and so when we look at the way that jesus lived as recorded in the gospels what stands out to you guys about the way that Jesus looked at people. Hmm, that's interesting. I think one thing that stands out is he always tends to be looking at the things that everyone else is not looking at. They are looking at the the people who are in power or let's just take, I think it's Luke 7, there's the funeral procession and everyone would probably be looking at the mourners and this big procession, but Jesus sees the widow. He, he's not even looking at the body that's being carried and, and those sorts of things. He's looking at this weeping mother who is devastated at the loss of her son and raises this guy from the dead because he saw past the noise and past the crowd to this mother in pain. I just think that Jesus is always kind of looking and seeing the people that everyone else is overlooking. You mind if I tell a story about this? Like, yeah. I think an example of this where I've really learned this would be my wife. There was once a sermon that was preached at a church I was a part of. It was amazing. It was about... Thank you. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> it, it was, uh, It was. was definitely... They said, turn to your neighbor and say... <laughs> no. 
No, but it was, a, it was an incredible sermon about sacrificial love and all these sorts of things. And then there was the response time and you could tell everybody was really moved and they were coming forward for communion. And there was this one woman in the front row in a wheelchair who was weeping. And I saw her, I walked past her and I was getting communion. And then as I was going to go sit down, I looked and my wife was not with me anymore, but she was now sitting next to that woman in the wheelchair who was in the front row. And they were both weeping together and they were praying together. And I don't even know how that connection happened. But the reality is, is there were probably two to 300 people who had just heard a sermon on sacrificial love, who walked right past a woman in a wheelchair who was weeping on their way to get communion. And it wasn't a problem of like intent or theology. It was a problem of seeing. Mm. They didn't see her as they walked by. How about you? Yeah, well, I'm struck by, I'm just struck by the fact that Jesus did see people. You know, like, there's something about, like, because you think about, like, the language of God sees, and it's true, God sees, but there's also, since we're, like, the creator and the creation, right? There's this distinction, there's this gap, whatever, like, the creator being distinct from the creation that God doesn't have eyeballs, right? Like, he doesn't have a physical body, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of Jesus or whatever. And so, you think about that language that usually God sees, in some ways, it's an analogy or it's a metaphor for going, God is spirit and he's present to us. He's present to his creation. He he observed, but it's not like light rays are refracting through his retinal cavity or however that Mm -hmm. works, you know, like, so it's more like an analogy for us to even understand or comprehend that God he knows us he, he observes he's present to us all that and then in the through the incarnation like just the power in jesus god actually sees through eyeballs yeah you know? like that's kind of yeah. crazy to me like god is seeing people in christ through the light reflecting uh, refracting off of his ocular cavity or whatever that is you know like yeah like the god of the universe what what is that even like you know like yeah. to be there and jesus sees you and then i think it's just fascinating the things that Jesus pays attention to, which you just hit on, you know, like, like Jesus is often looking at and paying attention to and seeing things that we don't see. And it's interesting to me with that too, that like Jesus doesn't just see the external. Jesus doesn't just see you. He sees through you in some mm-hmm. ways, you know, like not like we're transparent or visible, but this is like, he sees the motives and the inclinations. He, what's that verse? Where he's he sees like, the real you. Yeah. He sees yeah. the real you. Like what's that verse? Where like he knew what was in a man kind of, you know, like Jesus yeah. actually sees the, not just the external appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart and mm-hmm. he's able to discern and he's able to see you in a way where I think Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I want to mention as well is we did this All of Life interview last year with Jesse Gore, who's a special ed teacher. And what she would describe her calling, her vocation as, is to be the eyes of Christ uh, who see the children that get overlooked typically in society. And that her vocation was one of seeing as a part of the body of Christ, she's the eyes, <laughs> you know? So thinking about people like Jesse who, who see children who are often overlooked, who are those people in our city, in our community who often go overlooked? My thought, you know, I, I do think we often rightly focus on emphasize like homelessness or refugee community or asylum seekers and, and all that's very true. But one that I think we overlook their overlookedness perhaps is the elderly. Mm-hmm. You know, like I do think that there's a way that in, in our city and in cities increasingly, I'm just struck by how youth is so valued and prized that it, it seems like, like I'm still kind of learning that I, here it's hard to tell because we're in a college town, right? But uh, mm-hmm. in some ways, but back in Portland, even I remember just kind of walking through the, the downtown urban core and it felt like everyone was between 20 and 35. You know, everyone was affluent, young, 
tended to be, you know, young, single, professional, whatever. And not saying that's bad, but that it does seem like there's a structural exclusion that's happened where that demographic is kind of at the core of influence and affluence and all those kind of things. And once you kind of get older and if you retire and you're in your 70s or whatever, it seems like there's a natural you kind of get pushed out of sight. The margins of the retirement career, the outside, and just the irony of like historically, it seems like that's when that's kind of like the prime of wisdom. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. dude, you're you should actually be shaping culture when you've been through enough life to mentor and lead those who are just figuring things out you know and yeah so, and, and i don't know because i'm not there yet but from some I, i've talked to in that stage of life like that there does seem a sense of like dude, i just feel useless and then you know seen as unwanted and useless you know? yeah yeah i think that's right on i think that's especially important because when you're using the term overlooked i think that's a little bit different than pressed mm-hmm. you know it's the passive not the active and so i think in society there are a lot of groups that are seen based on what cultural movement you're a part of mm. a certain group of people will see the unborn but another group will not see them mm. another group of people will see refugees and another group will not see them and even actively harm and oppress and support systems that diminish the life of the unborn or of the refugee but i think that there tend to be these groups of people that both of them don't have in these majorly negative feelings toward, but just don't see. And I think elderly would be one. I also think that there's something with with people who are struggling with different types of mental health challenges, because a lot of times it is attributed to if this person would just pull their life together, they'd be fine, or not really understanding it or actively wanting to avoid entering into that space. So I think that that would be something on that list as well. So... What about in our in our closer circles? What about the people who we normally interact with? And we talked about love being commitment, not just these random acts of kindness, but people that we're committed to, people that we that we constantly interact with. I know in the book, Love Walked Among Us by Paul Miller, he gives an example of reading the mail while his wife's trying to talk to him. So he's sort of like not looking at her, not really paying her attention. What do you guys think about that? What are some ways that we often overlook people who are in our in our circle, so to speak? Well, I'm just impressed that he gets mail worth reading. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he must be big time. Uh, man, this pizza ad for uh, it's Papa John's. A, either he's really big good. time, like he's getting like contracts and letters or something like that, or he's just like really not paying attention to his li- wife because he's locked in on the ads or something. Yeah, so the question would be what are ways in which we do that? Yeah. The obvious thing that comes to mind is our phones, our are glowing rectangles that call out and beckon us for their attention. The iPhone has this new feature where it shows how much time you spend on your phone. Mm. Have you guys seen that? No. No. It's been a helpful thing and a shocking thing to know that there are literally like three hours Mm. cumulative in a day I was looking at my phone. There are days where I can't honestly say that about any other single human being. Mm. So I think technology would be a big one. Well, yeah. I mean, just to stick there for a minute, because I do think it's such a big one. And when we think about our phones, I think sometimes recognizing it's not so much like, let's say I'm talking with my wife or I'm looking at my phone, you know, it's not so much I'm choosing to communicate with my wife or I'm choosing to stare at a screen, you know, it mm. does feel like the phone is often, it's a form of communication, you know, yeah. but it's a disembodied form. And so it feels like, I think for me, a part of it is going, yeah. are there ways to prioritize embodied communication when the distraction of disembodied communication is so 
strong, you know, like I might use my phone for a phone call or to check email, or even if I'm on Twitter or reading an article, all those are forms of communication. But it seems like part of the allure is like, dude, you can commune with (laughs) the entire network of humanity, you know, or at least like, like you, you know, like there's this sense of, I I almost feel like one of the part of the allure of it is the promise of omnipresence, you know, that Mm -hmm. almost like I can become like God because I can become attentive, I can become connected to and attentive to all this different stuff happening all over the world and all these different people and whatnot. And in the process, though, it's almost like I become disembodied because I'm not actually present to those around me. And so one of the things I've tried to do as far as a practice is set some specific times where I might have 20 minutes here or 15 minutes here or whatever, like where I'm going to go and do online stuff or use my phone or whatever. But then apart from that, trying to put that away and just really be present, especially with my kids and my wife when I'm home at the end of the day or even Mm. during the day during a meeting, like not having my phone out or trying to prioritize embodied communication over the distraction and allure of disembodied communication. Because part of the incarnation is like God's intimate value of embodied communication. So I think you're right on with that. There is a little bit of irony and that most people are going to be hearing this through a disembodied <laughs> means. <laughs> and, Shut it off. Hit the power yeah. button. So if right now, if you are ignoring someone that you could be having embodied communication with, if you're like doing the dishes right now and someone is present with you in the kitchen, feel free to turn this off yes. and be attentive to them. But as you were saying that, it had me thinking a little bit about the garden. Mm. You mentioned that the reason why we do this can sometimes be to be more than human, to try to act like God. But then also sometimes it also could be that there's a hiding Mm. that happens, that, that in the garden when Adam and Eve, when sin entered the world and their shame entered the world, they immediately tried to cover themselves Mm. with fig leaves. And I wonder if our phones in some ways aren't the fig leaves Mm. of the 21st century that we use to hide ourselves or only present the most polished parts of ourselves to the world. Yeah, because then when we think about that, this bigger theme of seeing people, we see people, so much of what we see of people online is not actually them. It's the yeah. fig leaves. You know? yeah. like we see the projection that they that we or they want to present. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. When, I, when I think of God in the garden, he was walking among us, and that was what relationship with God looked like. But mm. we have written forms of communication from God since then, but yeah. we all yearn and long for Christ to come back and be with us physically because we all recognize that it's not it's not a fulfilled complete relationship without that embodied presence. Mm-hmm. You know, we can think, "Oh, well I text somebody, so I'm in communication." Well, God texts us in a sense by giving us his word, but yet we still think, "God, where are you?" and "God, I want you with me." and "God, I want to feel your presence." And so so that written communication isn't enough. And there is a day that's coming when there will be no hindrance in that. Mm-hmm. But now it does seem that the way that God shows up to us present physically in a body is through the body of other believers. Um, and that's why community is so important because so often we can see our spiritual formation as being something I do alone and as I connect with God, who's out in this ethereal space somewhere, and I'm trying to disconnect with my body as much as I can and almost be like a little computer server that's just sending information to a distant server and back and forth. But really, when we sing together, when we read scripture together, when we pray together and we are present in the body, that's the 
physical body through which Christ shows up to us. Mm, and that's so interesting. Kind of going back to the whole, the power of God seeing through Jesus' eyeballs, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, like, Jesus seeing through our eyeballs. Like, yeah. I, I think maybe sometimes we underestimate or minimize the significance of the church's identity as the actual body of Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. That it's not just a loose, rough image or metaphor. It's like, I love Ephesians, uh, at the end of Ephesians 1, where Paul says, like, we are the, the fullness of him who fills everything every way. Uh, mm-hmm. And going that if Jesus is actually given us his presence, filled us with his very spirit, his presence, then Jesus sees people through our eyes. You know, that we can actually be a vehicle of Jesus not overlooking, but encountering and seeing people today and the yeah. power of that. Yeah, that's that's so good what you said right there. And the sad thing is like half the people aren't going to hear it because they just turned it off earlier <laughs> because we were talking about <laughs> embodiment. Back on. <laughs> so if if you actually stayed and listened, now you should probably go hang out with somebody, but just tell all the other folks who turned it off that they should come listen to that <laughs> text, part. Uh, text, text them. them. Yeah. <laughs> text them. So, so how do we do that? If, if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm thinking, yes, I feel the Lord putting that on my heart, the significance of how he indwells his people and how, you know, Jesus looks through our eyeballs. How do I do that? How do I become a part of that? How can I press into that? How can I learn to see people? You know, I had a friend years ago who was teaching this class. I, I wasn't in it, but I, I heard the buzz when others were, in, where he gave this assignment to the class. And the assignment was, is like a spiritual exercise. They had to go down to, it's like the Hawthorne district, kind of this busy part of town where tons of people are out walking, shopping, whatever. And they had to spend, I think it was like an hour or so, um, just walking along the strip and the goal was to be attentive to the people who are coming to and to actually kind of imagine, not that you could really know, but imagine what do you think, you don't know their name, you know, but what do you think this person's story is? Like, where are they coming from? Like, who, hmm. what do you think is in their background, their story? And the whole focus was like kind of going like, normally we tend to, we'd walk through an area like that and we're just so focused on ourselves, you know, like, mm-hmm. where do I got to go? What do I got to do? What's going on with me? And almost like to intentionally as a spiritual exercise, taking the attention off yourself and even if it's just imagination trying to step into the shoes of like who is this person where are they coming from what's their story what's their backdrop of turning outward you know in in your kind of focus or attention which i i still think is just kind of an interesting exercise yeah a couple thoughts one is in order to be fully have a fully embodied attentive presence you're going to have to devalue some efficiency so, for example, you might need to take the the earphones out every once in a while. The the headphones, it's really nice because you can listen to something while you're doing something else. But I've noticed even at the gym that people don't even interact with each other or talk to each other between things because they have the headphones in. And then in the rare moment that I hear a stranger actually say something to me and say, hello, and then I'm, I look over to them, and they're not talking to me. They just answered a phone call <laughs> with their thing in their ear. And then, Hello? Yes? Yeah. Oh, and then, <laughs> you're not talking to me. Yeah, and then, no one ever talks to me. Right, right. And then when you say hi, they look at you with this incredulous look like, what? <laughs> Can't you tell them on the phone? <laughs> like I would say hi to an actual person. So I think making a little bit of space, a little bit of margin that isn't filled with everything so mm. that there can be the space for relationship. Um, I think another one would be learning how to ask questions. Mm. And I had a guy years ago when I was about 18, he said, it was a very loving thing. He said, Jim, you just talk about yourself in every conversation. 
and not the whole world isn't not your sounding board. One way that you could love like Christ would be to learn how to ask good questions. Mm. And so since then, I've been just collecting questions to ask people and also listening attentively for what even prayerfully ask, what's the one thing that this person would love to talk about that nobody's asking them about? Mm. So I think questions, making space. And then, you know, I had another, oh, the other one would be even in our prayers, daydreaming on behalf of someone else. Mm. Our prayers and then our thoughts. I mean, think about how much we have our own thoughts of like fruitfulness and grandeur and success. And we just Mm. daydream about our own lives. But I think we've really entered into another person's life when you catch yourself thinking about what would it look like for things to go well with this person? Like loving your neighbor as yourself is a part of, like one of the ways you do it is you think about yourself and dream about your life. What would it look like to do that for other people? That's good. That's really good. Totally. Dude, one other that comes to mind is, I, I think it'd be worthwhile. I even want to do this now. Like, I love my ideas. They're so great. I want to do it myself. <laughs> no. <laughs> but like getting a, you know, getting pen and paper and thinking through along that theme of covenant, like who are those people that are closest to me? Like yeah. who are the folks? Because often I think in... I'm guilty of this. Like in churches, Christian circles, I think we can really emphasize or focus. We say, oh, it's time to love. Focus on the people who are distant or outside, you know, like, yeah. Um, and we can kind of, we can kind of just take for granted or assume the people who are actually already closest to us. It's like, well, that's, that's safe. They're okay. They're, you know, versus yeah. going like, dude, who are, God, who are those people in kind of the closest sphere of proximity that you put in my life that I might be taking for granted in some ways? You know, how can I actually, um, and I don't think that just has to be a spouse. Like that can be close friends. That can be, yeah. Like often that probably is like like mm-hmm. who are some of those close friends that I just kind of take for granted because we're around each other a lot or whatever. And how yeah. can I actually not just be around them but but see them? Yeah. You know, w- one thing that I, I would like to add too is where do we spend most of our day as adults is at work, mm-hmm. and a lot of times the direct beneficiaries of our work we literally don't see amen and so even praying while you're at work just little, not like these long drawn out pharisee prayers where you're like in the break room <laughs> your god may the person driving this car experience your yeah you know but just those quick like two three second yeah. prayers you know just yeah. th- those arrow prayers i've heard somebody call them before while you're working I know I do that at work to just try to refocus what I'm doing to make sure that I'm doing quality work because even though there may be not be that feeling of love that we talked about that our culture prizes, but actually what I'm doing through the work of uh. my hands is an act of love. And so even praying about who's the beneficiary of my work can be a way, I think, of seeing people that you often overlook. That's so good, man. That's so good. I, I remember a guy who worked at an uh, auto parts store talking about his job was to put the right auto parts in the right boxes in the right part of a warehouse. And what made him do good work is what he realized is that if that was disorganized, that was going to cost people dozens of hours of time Mm -hmm. and searching through auto parts and trying to get this one auto part to fit Mm -hmm. in a place that it wouldn't. And so his act of organizing auto parts in the right way the motive of that was mm. to give hours back to the the uh 
the the auto repair people and all the, those sorts of things. But he was thinking about the next person who was going to touch those auto parts as an act of love. And so what strikes me between what you guys were saying is you were saying that what about the people really close to mm. us? And what you were saying, AC, is what about the people who are really far from us, who our lives are affected by, but we never really see? Mm. Uh, and we tend to like gravitate toward this middle of like acquaintance. Mm-hmm. Love is not just being nice to acquaintances, but it's going really deep with those that we are in the covenantal relationship with and really far in thinking about everybody who is affected by my life. That's really good. Who do you think about in our congregation, not on staff, but in our congregation, who embodies this well and that other people in our congregation would do well to follow their example? Josh, you're new in town. Who has stood out to you yeah. initially? The first person that comes to mind, it's uh, well, Travis and Reba Shank really come to mind. And mm. part, you know, there was when we first got here personally, our, our you know, for us, our housing had fallen through. And just without a wink, a drop of the hat, like we weren't even here yet. And they just kind of caught wind and heard. And, and they saw, even before they saw us physically, they saw us in our predicament and were, were offered us their home for you know two weeks while they were going to be visiting family somewhere else, whatever. Um, but then that became kind of a catalyst where I've been at numerous uh, events or things here at the church that we're doing where I see them talking intentional with people and all. And even with me, like Travis uh, invited me out for, for lunch a while back and just the the things that he had on his radar and said in our conversation, you know, and, and, and all like for me, there was just a sense of going like, Oh, like I'm not just pastor or whatever, you know, like the pastor hat on or like there's a sense of like sitting down and going like, oh, you see me kind of thing, you know, and mm-hmm. that was really powerful. And yeah, and I think I've, I've, I've seen them in a variety of circumstances where that's just that attentiveness to other people, bringing their kids in. They were at Affordable Christmas serving with their kids serving alongside them and just the attendance to go, oh, I see my daughter and she's going to come with me and be at this thing together. And, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know. But, yeah. They, they come to mind. Yeah. The Klontzes, Brent and Sari Klontz, who I mentioned before, and the reality that they display the hospitality of Christ and the way that they receive so many people. Jade's son comes to mind mm-hmm. and her ability to have empathy with whatever people are going through. She can rejoice with people like no one else, and she can weep with people as well. I also think of Brian Schubert, who he loves people in all of the the overlooked small things as a volunteer. He's like the volunteer coordinator, but a lot of times people even see the volunteers and will thank the volunteers, but he is like the servant of the servants and is rarely seen for the good work that, that he does. Faithful and loves in all the small things. Those would be some people who come to mind. Yeah, I would think of when we talk about like that near and far level. Yeah. On a far level, I think of Bethany and Jordan Banesh. Oh, yeah. You know, here at this young couple who, you know, they're educated, uh, they're, they're in, in respected careers, and yet they are sacrificing so much of their time to minister to the women at the Perryville Prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on a near level, I think a woman in our church named Cheryl Patton mm-hmm. and, you know, being a part of an NRC with her for a couple of years. I and mean, she just had this ability to really just focus in on everybody who's in our group and love them and, 
and remember everything that you talked about and, and demonstrate a genuine interest and not just good conversation and oh, she was kind and patient, but she would always pull people to the side and reach out and hey, do you need help with this? Or, you know, can I, can I serve you in this way? And, and I think that's a, you know, she had a really great example for that. Yeah, that's good. Can I throw one more name out? Josh Duke. And I think a lot of people might not make that association at first because Josh does not strike you as this overly emotional, gushy type of guy. It's not the cultural gushy type of love. You know, he's a bearded man. His last name's Duke. Like you're a, you're a, you're a manly man when your last name is Duke. It's like in case you didn't know I was a man with Josh, I threw Duke at the end just so you know. But – this guy in his work, he works for, I believe it'd be like an investment company that invests in these various businesses. He's always thinking about how can our investing be an act of love for others that serves others. And so they provide a lot of jobs. So they've worked very closely with prison reentry and providing jobs for people who are coming out of prison. Same thing with refugees. And he's, most people wouldn't immediately associate the type of activity of like purchasing businesses and running and managing businesses as a instrument of love but through the eyes of christ he sees it that way it's wow. really cool that's awesome that's all we have for this week our prayer for you guys is as you are as the lord gives you ears to hear what the spirit is saying that he would also give you eyes to see whom the spirit wants you to see we'll see you guys next week Amen.